Good morning. I am generally not a rule breaker. I am more of a rule bender. If I was the firstborn, um, I would probably be more along the lines to want to follow the rules. Some of you here are probably firstborn, and to disobey your parents was probably a big deal. And when you did do that, you probably felt a lot of guilt when you did, and to the point where it drew you to them to confess. Um, I'm being the only son but the youngest, the baby of the family. Um, I knew two things. One, I didn't really like the rules, but I knew that there were consequences to breaking the rules. And if I broke those rules, um, Dad, would not, Dad would not let it go without consequence. I remember sitting in church as a, as a kid, and this was before we had children's church, and sitting in pews much like this, and I knew if I got the look from Dad that I had one more chance to sit there. And so you grabbed every offering envelope, and you drew on every offering envelope until they, there was no more space on there to draw, and then you had to sit there and do your best not to be loud. My oldest sister, who is the oldest, she is a rule follower. My middle sister is not. Her and my dad went round and round. Why do I bring this up? Because we live in a world that is filled with leaders. But we struggle against other people speaking into our lives. We struggle with authority in our lives. Within our marriages, within our churches, within our workplaces, and within our world. And this morning, the text that we look at is going to draw us to it. So I remember as a kid thinking, if I ever did anything wrong, my dad, no matter where I was at, was going to pop around the corner, and I was going to get in trouble. If I ever said a bad word, I thought, There's, dad is going to find out about this, and I'm going to get a whooping. Now, I didn't get spanked much, but I did a couple times. And I always had that, that fear in me that I didn't want to disappoint my parents, and I certainly didn't want to break the rules because I knew that dad would not let that go unchecked. I was with my kids walking through Walmart, and if you ever heard me preach, it's very rare that I don't ever bring up a Walmart illustration in my sermons. It is a great place to test your faith and make sure that you are walking with Jesus. And we were walking through Walmart, and I heard a child, and I heard a mom, and I heard the child screaming and throwing a tantrum at the, at the top of their lungs. And the mom didn't do anything. And she was hoping the child would kind of die out. Now, I've been there. I've realized they will eventually die out. Um, but the mom just was completely disregarding the child's behavior. Now, for the older people in here, you know that if you did that out in public you would probably get swatted right there in front of everybody. And you would feel that shame, and you would feel that guilt, and you would feel the pain of having mom or dad's hand up your backside. I remember telling my kids, I said, here's a world in which we live that is governed by a God, and he set up a structure, and he set up rules, and he set up a foundation in which we are to follow. We can't throw tantrums in this world. I said, there are some folks, when I was a kid, and if I did something and my teacher 
against what my teacher had told me to do. If I broke the rules in class, I didn't want to go see the principal. Remember when that was a big deal? You didn't want to get called to the principal's office. And you know, if you get called to the principal's office and you get your name on the board, you get it once and then you get a check and then the third time you're going to the principal's office and then mom and dad are getting called and that was like the biggest fear of mine. Because I know even if I didn't do what I was accused of, which did happen at least once, it did not matter if I came home and told my mom and my dad, but I didn't do it. Because they trusted the teacher's judgment in their classroom on how I had behaved. Now we have shifted in this world. I have seen this with my own eyes. My wife used to be a teacher. I have seen it not to 30 miles the other direction. My wife is a firstborn. She's a rule follower. She likes people to follow the rules, which is an interesting combination in our house because I'm not a rule breaker, but I also understand that sometimes, you know, you kind of bend the rules a little bit. And there was a child in one of her classes that broke the rules, and she called him out on this. And you know what mom and dad did? They came up and they wanted to fight because certainly 10-year-old little Timmy is telling the truth. But a 30-year-old adult woman who has been trained to teach certainly has it out for Timmy, right? That would have never happened as a kid for me. Why do I bring this up? Because God has ordered and structured this world in such a way that we live best when we are in the confines and the guidelines of rules. Rules don't do anything to save us, but they protect us. And so as we look at this text this morning, we're, what we're going to look at is how, does, how do leaders, what is a godly leader in the life of the church? What is a godly leader in the life of a Christian following Christ? So if you would open up to Hebrews chapter 13, um, we're going to read two verses this morning, verses 7 and 17. You can read along with me. Let's start in verse 7. Remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. And then if we jump down to verse 17, the writer continues, Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls, as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. When we go back all the way to the book of Genesis, when we go back to the creation account, what we see is we see a God who didn't need to create anything, but was completely content in himself. Yet out of his love and his joy, he created this whole world and he set it in order. And he created a man and he created a woman, and together they were to function underneath his headship. But you and, all, you and I both know what happened. They didn't just fall. They rebelled against God's authority in their life. You see, we live in a world that fights against authority, and our flesh fights against authority because we've been taught from the time we were born that if you live in this country, I might step on a little toes this morning, that your life is best lived for the pursuit of happiness. And that you can pick yourself up by your bootstraps and you can make a life and you don't need anyone to step into it. You can make your own way. And what this has ingrained in us 
as individuals is that we don't need to submit to the authorities around us, let alone to the authority of God. We see this. I've seen it in my own heart. We see this in our world. We see this in our churches. Now, as we look at this text, what we're seeing is the writer is saying, remember your leaders. What this tells us is that there are leaders within the church. Some of you have maybe sitting here wounded from an experience in church. There are many people that have left the church because men and women in the church have wounded them. And let me tell you, there's no guarantee that you, whatever church you attend here, Troy, anywhere in Lincoln County, that you might not experience hurt and pain. Because God has established his church and he's established a leadership structure and the men that lead it are not perfect. But they're striving to, to follow the one that is. But we do see that in the early church, there was a leadership. And so what I want to share with you as I, I try to go through this quickly is the Lord has established two offices within the church. He's, a, he's established the role of elder slash pastor slash overseer, one office, and he's established the role of deacon. Now, I just want to look at the role of eldership this morning. An elder is not necessarily unique to the scriptures, although scriptures is, is it's covered with this. We see this in Christianity. We see that as Peter and the apostles established the early church, Peter himself called himself an, an, a fellow elder. Now, for, for those of you who may not know, the word elder simply means someone who is older, someone who has experience. And so not only do we see Peter as an elder, we see Paul establishing the church, and as he planted churches all throughout the Mediterranean and the known world at the time, after he had established a church, he would always call up and raise up elders, always in the plurality, always more than one, to oversee together the flock of God. Then as he did this, we see that in the Israelites, they also held elders. So we, we know that in the New Testament, we see this role of the plurality of eldership existing, but we also see in the Israelites, in the 12 tribes, they had elders within those that were to oversee those tribes. But if you were to go outside of scripture, you'll see that tribes today have elders from Africa to the Middle East to the Aborigines. These older men that oversee the welfare of their tribes. But we have a clear picture in the scriptures of how God has established leaders. And every single one of these leaders has failed except for Jesus. And that will be our big point when we get there at the end. But what I want you to see is from this text, the writer says, remember your leaders. These leaders are elders. These leaders are men that are imperfect but have a desire to shepherd the flock. Now, if you want, you can turn to 1 Peter chapter 5. If you don't have to, I will read this for you. But there's an important aspect here. And before, I, I've got three minor points. But before we get there, I want to lay the groundwork so that you understand that the church that God has established, which is a picture of the heavenly tabernacle, which is a picture of God's kingdom here on earth, which exists where he is sitting on his throne. And although it's imperfect, we long for the day that God comes and makes it the way that he had intended it to be, as it was in the garden before sin entered the world. Amen. And so for you and I, we have to trust 
and what this word says and what the scriptures teach us about God has established his church. And so as we look at the elders, what we see, and you can read about the qualifications for an elder in 1 Timothy 3 and Titus 1. And these qualifications, what they tell us is that almost nearly all of them are character attributes. With maybe the exception to teach and to lead their families well. And we oftentimes, we look at these qualifications for an elder in 1 Timothy 3 and Titus 1 just for those special people, right? But the truth is, they really apply to all of us in this room. These are the ideals for a Christian to pursue, to try to live up to. Yet we know that we all have a brokenness about us and that we will fail to live up to these. But it is something that we should desire to be someone that resembles the heart of Christ because ultimately the qualifications for an elder in church point to Jesus. But in 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 1-5, through 5, Peter, a fellow elder, he writes this to the church. He says, So I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. He says, shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd, that's Jesus, appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another, for God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. What we see is Peter, the apostle of the apostles, reminding the church that God has established leaders within the church, and this is how they are to function. And so this is primarily to those who are leaders within the church. This is primarily to those who have a leadership position within this church to remind you that you are to do it without groaning, without complaining, but to do it as a joy because God has called you and equipped you to shepherd the flock. I think of the picture of um, the birth narrative in Luke chapter 2. And Jesus wasn't born in the city, but he was born on the outskirts, as many of you know. And who did the angels first appear to to let them know that the Son of God has entered into the world. Shepherds. And he appeared to the shepherds, and the glory shone around them, and they were taking care of the flock. These pictures of shepherding is all throughout the scriptures. Many of the patriarchs were shepherds. We know King David was a shepherd. We know he wrote many beautiful psalms that reminded us of how he saw God while he was out taking care of his flock. And what a picture it is of the church. You see, we can't fight and we can't run from leadership within the places that we live and work and play, but especially within the church. And in a healthy way, you see healthy churches install elders that care for the flock. And so if we lay this foundation, we'll get to the rest of the text, but God has established the church with imperfect men that desire to be more like Christ, that come before the church and lead it willingly, lovingly, filled with joy, knowing that they're shepherding the flock because they care about you. The men in this church that shepherd you care about you. 
Now, it doesn't always feel that way, does it? Like, in my marriage, when my loving spouse points out something that maybe I don't see in my life, at the moment, it doesn't feel like I'm being loved. Can you relate? Maybe it's someone, your best friend, and they're willing enough to speak up into your life and point out something in your life that you don't see. We call these blind spots, and we all have them. And imagine if no one ever lovingly corrected us. What if there were no guardrails on these back roads that we drive on? And what if you ran off the road? We need each other, and we need the church in a healthy way to lovingly correct us, not just encourage us, but to correct us because what happens when the sheep leaves the fold? It's in danger. And what does a good shepherd do? Well, the good shepherd chases down the one that escapes, knowing that he's put himself in danger, and he picks him up and he carries him back. And this is what shepherding in the church looks like. It may not always feel this way, but we have to understand that God has established his church, his rules, his imperfect men to oversee the church, to shepherd them with joy and carry you to Jesus. And so with that being said, the first thing that we are to do as the church is to remember, remember your leaders. The text in the original language would mean remember those who have led you and continue to lead you, those who spoke the word of God to you, and consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith in Christ Jesus. This idea of remembering is not just unique to this text, but it's all throughout the scriptures. In Deuteronomy chapter 5, this is when... God had given the Israelites the Ten Commandments. Right? So if you picture this, Israel had been in Egypt under slavery for 400 years. All a part of God's plan. He's raising up Moses, who was a part of that kingdom and got kicked out because he killed somebody, murdered somebody. Time had passed. God reunites him with Israel, brings him back there to a place he did not want to go, all to bring them out And if you remember the movie, or you remember the scriptures, there are ten plagues that happen. Each building upon one another. Things that some could duplicate, but some couldn't. And if that wasn't enough, as Pharaoh finally releases the Israelites out of bondage, and this is a picture for you and I. You and I were Israelites in bondage to sin and death, and we had no hope. Until the greater Moses came in, and he led us out. And yet as they're experiencing this, as they're on the, 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 the shore of the Red Sea and they cannot cross, what does God do? He steps in and he moves the sea and they walk through on dry land. And he leads them by a fire of pillar at night and a smoke and during the day. And he feeds them manna and he gives them water from the rock and he's taking care of them. And you know what happens after Moses leaves them to go up to the mountain to spend time with God, to receive the Ten Commandments. Do you remember this story? Some bad leaders show up, and they convince them that God has left them out here to die. Give us all your gold jewelry, we're going to melt it down, and we're going to make our own God. On the heels of something that was 
beyond anything they could imagine. They experienced it. They walked through this. And you and I oftentimes, I know personally, will look at that and be like, how could they do that? And the truth is, we would have done that. And so as God gives them the Ten Commandments, which is just basic morality, say, I'm going to give you these to set you apart from all the kingdoms of the world because you are my special people. This still stands true for you today. In a culture that wants the church to look just like the culture, we have no salt, we have no seasoning, we look just like them, and God has called us to be separate so that we have something to give to them. And he says this in Deuteronomy chapter 5. This is the fourth commandment. Observe the Sabbath to keep it holy as the Lord your God commanded you. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work. You or your son or your daughter or your male servant or your female servant or your ox or your donkey or any of your livestock, or the sojourner who is with you within your gates, that your male servant and your female servant may rest as well as you, you shall remember. You shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt, and the Lord your God brought you out from there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God commanded you to keep the Sabbath day. He had to remind them to rest. He had to remind them to take a moment, which is what you and I are doing here this morning. I used to call the gathering of the church with my kids, and I still do occasionally. Tomorrow's our day for church. Hey, we're getting up early. It's time to go to church. And you know what? I've changed that idea, that thought, that mentality because this is the Lord's day. This is the day that death was defeated, that we, we memorialize, that we remember ourselves. We come here to remember what God has done for us through his son, that we set this day aside to rest in his work. We have to be remembered, or we have to be reminded to remember the good works of God in Christ for you and I. And we do that through the gathering of the church. And so this, the Israelites did this. And the author of Hebrews had to remind these, this Hebrew church to remember your leaders. And so we learned that they did have a leadership structure. And it wasn't just one person, which can be really dangerous, can it not? Right. Now, some churches exist without elders because they don't have elders yet. But a church that remains under the leadership of one person can be a dangerous place because if you let me lead on my own we can get sideways real quick in the plurality of elders that oversee the church that love the church that shepherd the church they know that if one elder or leader may start going off together they can bring them back together you see we shepherd each other And so we know that there was leaders, and what he tells them is remember them. Remember your leaders. Now, what leaders are we talking about? We could be thinking of the prophets of old, and if you would turn back to Hebrews chapter 11, and you consider the outcome of their lives, this is not the outcome that I would desire of 
my life. Because in Hebrews chapter 11, it talks about how some were sawn in half. Towards the end of chapter 11, verses 36 says, Others suffered mocking and flogging, and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned, they were sawn in two, they were killed with the sword, they went about in the skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated, of whom the world was not worthy, wandering about in deserts and mountains and in dens and in caves of the earth. Sounds like a good billboard, doesn't it? And certainly that was true of the Old Testament prophets. And on this side of history, we can see that all but one of the apostles were martyred for their faith in Christ. And so whether he was talking about the prophets of old or the leaders within this church or the early disciples, what we do know is that we are encouraged to imitate their faith. Now, how do we imitate people's faith? So the first thing we are to do is to remember our leaders in their way of life because we take great encouragement from those around us in their faith. Have you ever been encouraged by someone's faith who is going through a hardship? This is a powerful testimony and a powerful witness. When you see someone who follows Christ and it seems and it appears that nothing bad ever happens, like if they bought a lottery ticket, they would win the lottery. Those are hard people to follow. But when you see someone whose faith is in Christ, yet they are afflicted, like many of the saints before us, and yet they still find joy, like Paul in the Philippians, sitting in a prison, could still find joy in Christ, even in his, the worst of circumstances. It's a powerful witness to the world around us. In fact, a friend of mine who was a witch, who practiced Wiccan religion, said she was sitting in a coffee shop with some Christians, and she noticed a woman who had just lost her husband. And she had tremendous joy in her life. And she told me, and I told her, I don't know what you have, but I want it. You see, we carry the joy of Christ with us no matter what our circumstances in this world put on us we find the strength of the Lord in our lives to carry on to the next day. Because we know that this world isn't all that there is, but there's a world to come, and the world to come is one fully in Christ. To sit in the glory of Christ. Can you imagine that day? It's not just a ticket to heaven. It's an opportunity to be with Jesus in all of his glory. To be with God the Father. To have all the cares of your world summed up in him. For him to be enough and for him alone to be enough. And so we are called to remember our leaders and imitate their faith. Paul even told the Corinthian church, imitate me as I imitate Christ. This word imitate in the original language, language means to mimic. Remember that game as a kid? My kids still play this game. That whatever you say, they decide to say right after you. And it doesn't matter how much you make fun of your kids, they still say the same thing, because to them it's fun to repeat exactly what you said. And in a sense, we are to mimic those around us. 
Paul says, follow me as I follow Christ. And it's not that we're putting our faith in a man on earth. We're putting in a faith in a man who's put his faith in the Lord. And sometimes we need that. Sometimes we need to pick each other up and carry each other and say, follow me as I follow Christ, and we'll do it together. And so we remember our leaders. The second thing that we learn from this text is that we are to imitate the faith of those around us. In Ephesians chapter 5, verse 1 and 2, Paul writes to the Ephesians church, he says, Therefore be imitators of God as beloved children, and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us a fragrant offering and a sacrifice to God. As we look around, and you look around your fellowship groups and your Sunday schools and your friends, and as you gather here, you see one another who is walking with Christ in the best way that they can. And I know that there are days in my life that I'm walking with the Lord in a much stronger way than I was the week before. And so I can look to my friends in the church. I can look to my brothers and sisters in Christ. And I can gain so much encouragement. And I can spur on one another, which is what we learned in Hebrews chapter 10, towards good works and good deeds to fix our eyes on Christ. We do this together. And so as we remember our leaders, we imitate their faith. We imitate their lives and then if we jump to verse 17, and this is the tricky one. Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls. As I mentioned earlier, it's hard to submit to others, isn't it? Especially if we think that we're right. It's hard to submit to others when we disagree. And yet the text is clear that as we remember our leaders, as we imitate our leaders, as we obey and submit to them, we do this in trust. We're trusting them to watch over our souls. And in churches like First Baptist Ellsbury, and as Redeemer Church will get launched, you know, I've seen many churches that do not have membership. Some people really struggle with membership. And certainly membership and leadership within the church has been abused for decades, for centuries. Yet in a church that commits, their leaders commit to their people and their people commit to the leaders, what we're saying is we are in this together. Um, and one of the churches that we, we attended, and I've attended some really good healthy churches and I've attended some really not healthy churches. Still the Lord's bride. And when I started to read about and discover what membership in the church actually meant and why this is a good thing, it's not a club you join. It's not a plaque on the wall. It's a commitment to a body of believers. I saw something that I've never witnessed before. Church discipline. I saw... A church be biblical I saw a church call a members meeting and they addressed a situation within the church where a man left his wife and family and they followed Matthew 18 and they went to the man as an individual they went to the man as an elders and he would not repent and turn back to the Lord 
And he abandoned his wife and he abandoned his kids. And they brought this up in front of their membership. And they brought this woman up and said, so-and-so has left her. And we've done everything we can to bring him back to repentance, to bring him back to the Lord, and he is kicking against us, and he's refusing. He even left the country. And they let the church know that until he returns to repent before us and his wife, he is no longer welcome in this church. That blew me away. Because I've seen many people leave the church. Oh, you don't like what the pastor said? Oh, you don't like that someone offended you? And you know what happens? They leave. And elders and shepherds of the flock, they chase after them. Because they care about their souls. They care about these people. And they want to reconcile because we have been reconciled with God. And he calls us to reconcile with one another. And you cannot do that if you do not have membership. If you do not have leaders within the church. And so as a member of the church, you're committing yourselves to fallible and perfect men that are striving to follow Jesus, that you can follow, that you can imitate, knowing that you can trust the Lord through all of it. But membership is important because if you don't have membership and you don't have a covenant community to say, we are walking with the Lord together, it's like a marriage. Although marriage isn't a great picture in this society we live anymore, is it? Oh, you want me to officiate your wedding? Well, let's do six weeks of counseling. On second thought, maybe we'll go with somebody else. You mean I can't just hire you to come do my wedding? No, no, you can't. The pay's not that good. <laughs> and the stress is a lot. And you know what? When I look at my wife, I thank God for her because she is stuck with me. And I am a better man, a better Christ follower because of her ministry to me. And we disagree a lot. Because I'm stubborn, and she's not stubborn, apparently. <laughs> I'm stubborn. And I'm arrogant. And I'm prideful. Yet the Lord is knocking those edges off of me because of a commitment I made to her. To a commitment I made to my children. For them to see a small, imperfect picture of how God loves his church. That he will not abandon it. He will not forsake it. Because I heard Matt Chandler say one time. He says, oh, your wife cheated on you. She abused you. She hurt you. She left you. She says slanderous things about you. And so you want to leave? He says, brother, you're sitting in the church, the bride of Christ. And we've all done that to Jesus, and he is faithful to you without end. Amen. You see, the beauty of the church is that we commit our lives to one another so we can obey and submit ourselves to the leaders that God has established. So in this text, leadership exists in the church. Elders exist in the church. Deacons exist in the church for you, to serve you. To help you continue in your faith in Christ. You know, one of the major themes of the scriptures is that those who persevere to the end will receive the crown of righteousness. And guess what, friend? 
on your own, you're going to fail. We live in a society that says, I don't need the church, I just need Jesus. And I would say, no, you need the church because it's his bride and you're a part of that bride. And if you're not within the bride, then I'm not sure you're a part of the bride itself. Through thick and thin. And I want to end with this. As we commit ourselves to the church and we listen to the leaders that God has established, he has ordained this. Look through history. My wife was just sharing with me her reading out of Jeremiah, and that it's, it's hard. There's some hard things in the scriptures. Have you read all of it? There's some hard things in this book. There's some harsh things in this book. There is some judgment in this book. And God used evil empires to put judgment on his own people. Why? Because he loves them. God has established his church. The gates of hell will not stand against it. He is building his church, and he is establishing men and women in the church to oversee it. He's establishing men to be elders that love and care and shepherd the flock, not with groaning, but out of joy. It is a joy to serve God. It is a joy to serve his people. It is a hard thing, but it is a joy. And so at the end of the day, we put our trust not in the leaders. This is my last point, and I'll end with this. We put our hope, trust, and faith in the one who will never fail us. And that is the chief good shepherd. That is King Jesus. And so of all the things in the church, we submit to him. And as you submit to one another, you're submitting to Jesus. It's good to be a part of his church. And it's good to be a part of a healthy church. And it's good to be a part of a church that cares about you, that will pursue you, that will love you enough to tell you the hard things of life, yet lift you up and encourage you when you're walking with Jesus. Let's pray together and ask the Lord to work in our own hearts because I know that this isn't the easiest thing for us to do and so we have to trust him. God, thank you. Lord, that in your divine wisdom and your divine sovereignty and the mystery of your will, Lord, you have established your church as imperfect as it is. It is the dearest place on earth because, God, it is your bride. And those of us sitting in here this morning, Lord, you have called us to be a part of this family. And we're not perfect, God. And we will fail you and we will fail one another. Lord, but you love us enough to chase us down, Lord, to discipline us, to bring us back and to use men to lead and to love willingly. And so, God, I pray for those who may struggle with this, who are dealing with wounds of the past. Maybe there's sin in our own hearts right this morning. God, I pray that we would lay that at the foot of the cross this morning. I pray, Lord, that those relationships in our lives that need to be reconciled, Lord, that you would, you would let us drop our offerings at the altar first and make things right. But, Lord, above all else, I pray that as we submit to the leadership within the church that you've called us to be a part of, God, that we would know in our hearts that we're submitting to you. God, that you are the good shepherd. You are the greater Moses. You are the great high priest. 
Jesus, you are better. And so, Lord, we can trust you. God, thank you for saving us. Thank you for redeeming us. Thank you, God, for never giving up on us. Thank you for your church. God, it is a beautiful thing, and we're grateful to be a part of it. Lord, I pray this in Jesus' name.